Volunteer high school football coach, outdoorsman, husband of 23 years, father of two. A man who will fight to return Minnesota's budget surplus to the taxpayers. Who will fight to lower property and income taxes. Who does not accept money from special interest groups. And who will work to improve public schools by reducing class sizes. Watch a movie. Oh, hell yeah. Hell yeah. Clash, clash. Strawberry banana. Oh, Please don't aggregate this. Lillard, long range three. Ah! <laughs> defense is atrocious. I'm sort of the rock star. People, Tiso is the official watch of the NBA. Everybody who listens to this podcast knows how I feel about aggregation. I'm oddly intrigued by neck tattoos. Man, we love China. We love no playing here. It comes a dunk. Shut up and listen. You think you're better than me? Bye! All right, so Hogan enters the ring. Sorry, one um, last thing yeah. before the, the end of the, of the promo. Can we talk about oh this little move that Hogan does? The, like, motorcycle, like, handlebar rev up and then, like, peel out backwards off the camera, off screen. Then Andre the Giant, one-on-one, with the whole world watching, I'm going to prove to you I can beat you, and Hulkamania will live forever! All right, ladies and gentlemen, headed to the ring, Hulk Hogan! Um, I don't know if that was a move he had like done before. It seemed like it maybe it was like the debut uh, uh, of like this new move that he was just kind of like you know workshopping for the uh, for the big show tonight. But uh, yeah, really incredible little little flour- little flourish there to end his promo. It wasn't physical comedy because like these guys definitely weren't trying to be funny, but they, they kind of were physical. Though. They did a lot of physical bits. They did a lot of like physical performance where it was like, this is pretty funny. And they were doing it for the camera in a way that they were like, I'm going to like exit the frame by like walking backwards. And it was just. Dude, it's not a walk backwards. uh, He pulls his arms up, jerks backward, and then like perfectly (laughs) smoothly, like a fucking like Austin Powers bit or something like behind a couch. Yeah. Just like glides off screen. Like fucking moonwalks or something. It's Uh, like a mime. It's like, it is physical comedy. So he, yeah, as Ben said, he does this kind of modified, you know, from the bodybuilding world, like a side chest pose. And then that's what that is. And it's just, just slide backwards on the slip and slide. There's like no discernible footsteps going on. Yeah. It's really impressive. Mm. All right. So Hogan enters the ring here. He comes out to, I am a real American. And now, introducing from One thing that really caught me around the 740 mark in our stream, mm-hmm. Jesse the Body Ventura mm-hmm. says how glad he is mm-hmm. that Dave Hebner is refereeing this match and not Joey Morella. Yes. Jesse, Dave, Dave 
Joey Morella was the referee ghost, of course, that caused the controversy at WrestleMania three. The the much disputed three pin count. Uh, Joey Morella was in fact that referee who slapped the mat three times and then called it off and said, "Nope, nope, nope. It wasn't a pin." Uh, and and Hogan eventually won. So we have Dave Hebner tonight refereeing the match, guys, and Jesse the Body Ventura is very happy about it. Yeah, he says, quote, I feel very good about that. Uh, a little foreshadowing, perhaps. Maybe just a little bit. Yeah, yeah. and Jesse, Jesse notes how cool and collected Andre is before the match, mm-hmm. while Hogan is very amped up. He's really fired up. <laughs> is just uptight. I mean, he is really ready for this. That can work against you. Also, I like I like the giant style. He stayed cool. He stayed calm. Hogan's been in total turmoil. I like giant style. He stayed cool. He stayed calm. Hogan's been in total turmoil. <laughs> Which I was just like, God, you nailed it, Jesse. Like, it's true. Like, you know, Hogan charges in, he's swinging the belt around his head, he's, you know, he's yeah. playing to the crowd and stuff, he's just like, but he's so, like, you, you know, you could say, like, oh, sure, he's he's being a showman, but I think Jesse very astutely uh, calls it, it's it's turmoil, he is, he is really, you know, working through some, some, some difficult stuff, whereas... state of agitation. Yeah, whereas Andre's just standing there on the on the apron outside the ropes, just waiting for him to, you know, expend all of his energy. Yeah, and on, that's it, man. I mean, Andre is just really taking his time. Just He's just, even just getting into the ring, he's so slow and methodical, hanging outside the ropes, and Hogan is like four lattes deep. Uh, you know, he is, he is like an over-caffeinated child on a sugar rush here. Yeah. Um, and he starts the match going right after Andre and then he goes after DiBiase he goes after Virgil and he in the early goings here uh, Ben and Ghost he is really in command So let's let's talk about uh, the beginning of the match here. Yeah, can we talk a little bit about how funny it is seeing a million dollar man get beat up while still wearing his? Wait, first of all, yeah, maybe Ghost. Do you want to just talk about what DiBiase and Virgil are wearing uh, to the ring for this event? Sure, I'd love to. Uh, They look like they're going to. I don't even know how to describe it. It's like they're on a, they're two magicians in Las Vegas and DiBiase is the guy who's up in lights above the casino. And then, you know, his, his little assistant Virgil there. Yeah. Kind of the sexy. Like they just need like a, they just need like a Bengal tiger to yes. like walk around uh, with them. Virgil is the sex appeal to get the woman to the show. And it's got something for everybody. Just glitter galore. And uh, <laughs> so, so Ted is wearing like a platinum shimmering. I, I, I think it's supposed to evoke the idea that he's wearing like a suit of diamonds. It's like a shimmering suit yeah, that is like, like a silver platinum, sequin, silver, platinum sequin, silver sequin color. And then goes the lapel is a really beautiful like violet purple. His he, is that a cummerbund or some sort of like thing satch across? across his waist there, which is which is like a purple color, and Virgil is in a uh, similar sort of uh, theme color, right? 
Exactly. There are two peas in a pod here. Uh, Mr. DiBiase has his trademark dollar signs, one on each lapel, and then one big old one on the back. He's got a nice, beautiful silver bow tie. Mm-hmm. Uh, the hair is on point tonight. The goatee is trimmed, and uh, he's ready to put on a show. Yeah, Virgil, of course, the, the major difference in Virgil's attire is that he does not have sleeves on his silver sequin tuxedo. Um, because of course Virgil always had to be showing off those guns um, to uh, to please the uh, the screaming uh, you know bachelorette uh, parties uh, in the crowd of the uh, of the casino that night yeah just incredible um, but yeah the the to me there's something so comical about so as you said Hogan <clears throat> kicks things off with a flurry charges over as as uh, you know uh, Andre Virgil and DiBiase are kind of huddling in a corner to go over strategy and Hogan just charges right over breaks everything up drags Virgil into the ring over the ropes you know flips DiBiase into the ring and starts wailing on them with DiBiase still in his in his tuxedo I just think it's so funny to see a man in a full silver sequin tuxedo get his just ass beaten and uh, and then you know tossed from the ring as as Hogan clears house and then uh, starts wailing away on uh, on the giant Yeah, man. And Andre is really rattled here in these first few minutes. Uh, I mean, he doesn't fall to his feet, but he is definitely staggering. Mm-hmm. And um, Hogan is just is just blitzkrieging Andre here, right? He climbs, he climbs that top turnbuckle, uh, and then he gets to the top of the ropes, and it really looks like Andre may falter. And then, as he's on the top turnbuckle, Andre catches Hogan. Slams him right down onto the uh, onto the canvas, body slam, and Andre goes for the headbutt. He misses, falls to the ground, but Andre is in control, or he's regaining some of the control here. Yeah, Hogan, uh, yeah, try, goes for a, a pin, but uh, but Andre catches him with a, a chokehold, and uh, then you know starts wailing on him a little bit. Um, there's a uh, yeah big uh, stomp on the hand, a big scoop slam on Hogan. Kick to the midsection, kick to the back. Andre's in control. And uh, Jesse calls out, I can feel it, McMahon. The champ is going to go down. Um, yeah, Hogan's on. Yeah, it does It does seem like a big thing, uh, Ghost, with this match is, unlike other wrestling matches where there's very much like a finesse game, it does seem like one of the primary objectives, and it makes sense, is can we get Andre the Giant to fall down? Because if he will fall, if this 500-pound man falls down, that will be painful and violent enough to do a lot of the, the work. So Hogan, you know, early, in the early goings here, Hogan is going to work on his head and slapping his body 
all with the sort of express purpose of can I, can we tip him over? Can we get can we tip the giant over on his side and get him to fall? Yeah, it's like in the monster movies where they're just you know the army brings out its biggest artillery and they're just they're just eating like ICBMs and missile fire and like surface to air rockets. They're just absorbing it into their body and it's doing nothing all the all the firepower is just getting eaten for lunch and that's kind of what we're now, seeing ben, there. there's a moment i know you'll want to talk about ben hogan uh, hogan's in command here and uh <laughs> he goes right over to ted dibiase outside of the ring and he just stomps on his hands holding some money and we see the dollar bills flutter in the air it's a delightful moment yeah ben, talk us through that oh my god i love it he was up. No, look at that. He can knock DiBiase down. He can knock Virgil down. But he cannot knock Andre off. Oh, wait a minute. Outside the ring. The money went flying. It's flying again. Poster stopping in the hand a moment ago. Yeah, throughout the match, you know, sort of DiBiase and Virgil, like, on, on the outside, on, on the ring apron, are, are uh, just sort of, like, standing there as, as targets for Hogan. You know, every now and then he'll sort of divert his attention away from Andre and go over and just clobber them um, uh, to the, you know, to the outside of the ring. And then at one point they're kind of, like, collecting themselves. And for some reason, like, as... So DB, they're, like, kind of outside uh, the ring behind the turnbuckle, like, in the corner. Uh, and DiBiase's, like, kind of got his head down um and i guess for some reason just to like maybe make himself feel better as he as he recovers from uh from his injuries he's just handling some paper bills just just holding some money in his hands maybe shuffling it around a little bit you can't really see what he's doing but hogan comes hogan walks over and you yeah, like the way the camera angle is set up perfectly you can't really see where DiBiase's hand is, but Hogan does this big uh, theatrical like stomp on the side of the ring apron, and DiBiase reacts wildly and throws all of his money up in the air. So you just see the dollar bills just explode in a little, you know, like a delightful little cloud of, of paper bills um, as uh, as he you know falls to the to the mat outside the ring. Uh, just absolutely like brilliant, you know, comedic, uh, just physical comedy. Um, and uh yeah i just love that little like random moment to to sprinkle in there um again i don't know if it was like scripted or if it was just you know like maybe you know dibiase like may have sent a little message like oh hey like come over and hit me and i'll you know do this like i don't know if they planned it or if if uh they just kind of you know freestyled in the in the moment or whatever but really uh really worked out perfectly Andre slams Hogan down from from the cho- from the top ropes from the turnbuckle. Uh, Hogan is clearly in pain here. Ben, his lower back mm. looks like he a lower back injury has really been uh, you know prodded at. And yeah, uh, yeah he's holding he that back. Suffering. Yeah, yeah. The, the the small of the back looks like it's really tightened up on him. Yep. Andre's in control here. He's choking out Hogan on the mats. Andre body slams Hogan. Mm. And this, to me, guys, was startling. Yeah. Like, this one, I have to say, I've seen the usual wrestling, you know, like, usual, like, wrestlers body slamming each other sort of thing. But this one felt more like someone, like, spiking a volleyball. 
the velocity with which he threw the Hulkster onto the ground. Remember, Hulk Hogan is six foot seven, two hundred eighty pounds. Oh, three hundred, easily three hundred. Yeah, three hundred pounds. Yeah, soaking wet. Uh, you know, it's a three hundred pound soaking wet anabolic hot dog filled uh, uh, man yeah. here. You know, the the casing is stuffed with meat. And and Andre just throws it on the canvas like it's nothing. Yeah. And uh, man, really s- startling to see. Yeah, I caught a um, kind of a retrospective by the Hulkster himself um, on a Hogan's Beat Shop uh, YouTube channel. Uh, you know, another little plug for the Beat Shop. But anyway, um, he was watching on TV. He's like he kind of walks into the shop. He's like, oh man, this match. And he commented that Andre was in a very bad mood that night. Well, you can see coming up in the match here that Andre was stiff as hell that night. He wasn't in a good mood. And uh, he was very rigid, so it's not surprising. Yeah, working stiff. Yeah. Very stiff, very stiff. But So it's not surprising to see him you know, take out that bad mood on the Hulkster, very easily tossing him around like that. Yeah, definitely an, an angry giant. I think I actually watched the exact same video, uh, Ghost. <laughs> Where he walks in and some employee is like giving him a hard time. Like, hey, brother, I work here. Now why nobody's answering the door in the back? Huh? What? I've been banging on the door. Nobody let me in. <laughs> we're, wa- we're watching the... Hey, I might know somebody that works here, you know? We're, we're watching the anniversary, 30-year anniversary. I'm hearing about that stupid what? match all day long, 30th anniversary. Jeez. Oh, so I get screwed over for the belt. Big deal. Everybody says, Hogan, don't go to the top rope. Oh. Everybody says, Hogan, don't go to the top rope. That's not true. Everybody says, Hogan, don't do jobs. That's not true. It's like the, yeah, it's like the 30th anniversary of the match. Uh, yeah, I, I love that video. Um yeah, it's, um, I mean, we got to talk a little bit about how, you know, Andre was, uh, you know, I, I take Hulk for his word. He probably wasn't in a very bad mood that night. And I got to say, like, um, he wasn't in, in great physical condition at this point. You can see it throughout the match. Um, yeah. He is really, I mean, you know, some of it is obviously, you know, he's, he's, he's selling for Hogan, you know, sh- you know, staggered and dazed and stuff from Hogan's blows. But he's, at this point in his career and uh, his life, you know, just really really struggling to move around the ring. There's a couple moments where, uh, you know, Hogan can't get him off his, his feet himself, but there's one point where uh, Andre kind of falls down after, like, giving him a boot to the face. Um, and, like, a couple other times where you're just like, oh, like, he's really... Yeah, it's it's a little difficult to watch it at times because um, he he clearly was was laboring and, uh, and, and, like, you know, frankly, probably should not have been wrestling. <laughs> uh, um, no, uh, there's no way he should have been wrestling. Yeah. I don't know if you guys knew this, but he underwent extremely invasive spinal surgery in 1986. Yeah. Um, and I guess Vince, you know, Vin, once upon a time, Vince and Andre were very close, very, very close. I think Vince's father was very fond of Andre the Giant. Of course, he made him and, a fucking shitload of money. Yeah. And so Vince sort of inherited that relationship. And so he was very important to to Vince. And when Andre ultimately left the WWF, it was a very personal thing. And I think they did not speak for a while. And so having Andre come back to fight Hogan here, wrestle Hogan here, was a very big deal. 
And I know that Vince personally worked with Andre to find like the best uh, back surgeon in the world um, to, to perform that surgery in 1986. But to, to your point, Ben, like he was not in any shape to be wrestling and much less to be slammed on the ground. Yeah. Um, so, and you can see it, you know, like he is really laboring in there. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. But anyway, you know, both men are, are still out there working their, working their buns off. Yeah. There's a lot of, uh, you know, illegal choke holds that Andre's administering, uh, sure. and, uh, and referee Dave Hebner is, uh, is right there, you know, on the spot. Yeah. Jesse chimes in. Jesse, you know, again, not afraid to criticize a referee, you know, when he when he deems it uh, uh, necessary. But he is very, very pleased uh, so far with uh, with the ref's performance. Um, you know, no no cloud of suspicion uh, over this match so far. So uh, yeah, this shortly after that is when uh, Andre does the uh, the the big boot to the Hulkster, but then kind of falls st- oh stumbles God. and falls down himself. Which was kind of sad to see. Um, uh, Hulk is out of the ring, but uh, Virgil throws him back in because, of course, uh, they don't want to win this match on a countout because that would, uh, you know, not not uh, uh, have the have the belt change hands. Um, so Virgil tosses Hulk back into the ring um, so right. that Andre can can uh, you know keep going to work yeah. on him. Um, now Andre is strangling Hulk with the uh, the singlet strap, the single uh, you know str- strap uh, from his shoulder. He takes it off and starts strangling. Uh, Hulk around the throat, um, always a good move. Um, and then there's an incredible line. I don't know if you guys caught this. Andre with that strap around the throat. Of, come on, get in there, referee. I don't think Hebner, the referee, sees it. Yes, he has to see that. Come on, give me a break. As you said before, Hebner doing a good job thus far. Well, you know, you got to remember something. Hebner only weighs about 150 pounds, you know. It's tough for Andre to listen to somebody that small. Uh, so just remember that line, folks. Uh, Hebner only Incredible. weighs 150 pounds. Uh, keep that in the back of your mind as we progress here. There was a debate about whether the ref can see what Andre's doing and if he can control it. And Jesse concedes that the referee, Dave Hebner, is too small. Mm. Only being 150 pounds yeah. is too hard for him. Uh, to to even see what's happening, and it's hard for Andre the Giant to take anyone that tiny seriously. Yeah, yeah. Andre is choking at Hogan, but Hulk somehow, uh, Ghost, summons that strength. He summons the strength of the crowd mm. to fight back. This is around the 17-minute mark, and he breaks free, and he is hammering. He is just hammering on Andre at this point. Um, he gets on the turnbuckle, gives him that flying clothesline, takes down Andre, who's now on his backside, and uh, Hulk leans into the ropes, and Virgil grabs Hogan's boot. Now, critically, at this point, referee Dave Hebner comes over to warn Virgil, and as that is happening, Hogan gives a leg drop to Andre. He clearly pins the giant for a three count, but the referee doesn't see it. Mm. 
He's tied up. He's arguing with Virgil. Hogan gets up. He's furious. He taps Dave Hebner on the shoulder. He gives him a piece of his mind. And who sneaks up on him but Andre the Giant? Yeah, that's right. A, uh, a very, very pivotal, um, uh, you know, sort of exchange here um, where, yeah, Hulk uh, nails the leg drop. You know, Vince counts all the way to four with uh, with, with Hogan, you know, on, on top of Andre. But uh, Hebner's got his back turned, you know, uh, uh, admonishing Virgil outside the ring. And then as uh, as Hulk goes over to complain to Hebner, uh, in a move very reminiscent of the way Andre crept up from behind at the Saturday night's main event uh, attack on January 2nd, he grabs Hogan from behind, <laughs> grabs his hair, headbutts him to the back of the head, one headbutt, a second headbutt, and then administers a, a actually very weak and awkward looking kind of like double underhook suplex move. Um which yeah. uh, you know he just barely kind of kind of nails uh, you know gets gets Hogan off his feet flips him over onto his back and then lands on top of him and um, uh, and and then kind of like you know sort of falls down again uh, sort of you know awkwardly but you can see it man I mean Andre Andre can't it's he can't lift his arms above of his above his shoulders yeah really yeah I mean like he he really sort of massages Hogan to the side. He really just sort of like scoots him on his side as opposed to like lifting him above his head. Yeah, exactly. Uh, but then he, uh, you know, he's able to, to shift himself up over onto Hogan. And then there's a perfect camera angle here. Now they must have like, you know, planned this out, scripted this out. What's the word? Uh, um, choreographed. Yeah, choreographed yeah. and, and um, kind of, you know, blocked it out um, where the the camera angle perfectly captures uh you know hogan on his back um dave hebner you know slides over to to uh, administer the three count um he slaps one hogan clearly very very uh you know cleanly snaps his shoulder up off the mat in between one and two right before the the two count but the count continues hebner goes two three that's it says mcmahon ventura says he got him he got him And then, but Vince just simply won't accept it. He says, now this exchange, I had to like write this out specifically because the call of, of the, of the, uh, of the, of the pinfall here is just incredible. He got him. He got him. Yells Jesse. No, he didn't. Says Vince. The referee counted three. We've got a new world champion. Screams Jesse. No, we don't. Neither. (laughs) Says Vince. So he was just flat out living in denial. Um, And I mean, boy, I don't know. Like, what were your guys' immediate reactions? Because I have have a lot of thoughts here. Just just to the pinfall. Yeah, it it was shocking. I mean, my... it's it's hard to say now because I've rewatched this a few times. So the thoughts that I have now are sort of different than the initial impression. Um, you know, the initial impression was like, wow, like Hulk Hogan 
loss to the to to, to this giant. Um, the camera angle is pretty clear where he jerks his shoulder up, and I was like, well, maybe I'm missing something or. Maybe there was some sort of technicality that I don't understand. But the more I watch it, the more I'm like, no, he should not have been pinned. Like that that's not a that's not that's not a three count. That's not a pin. Yeah. Um, so now with the benefit of hindsight, it's very clear that there's there's some impropri- impropriety. Um but my 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 <laughs> With the benefit of hindsight, though, Ben, <laughs> the thing that I am beginning to think about more and more uh-huh. is Jesse the body. Uh-huh. Is Jesse the body? Yeah. And do you know? Did he have some beef with Hogan? Um, that's a good question. Um, he, because he, it does seem it, it does seem that he. I would be interested to explore his relationship with Hogan and his relationship with Andre. Well, are you talking about because real life he, or, or kayfabe? Like, no, 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 no. I'm talking about the characters. Yeah, yeah. It does seem that they, it does seem that Jesse the Body Ventura had a vested interest, uh, you might call agenda or whatever, to sort of, you know, will into existence, will into reality that uh, this match uh, that andre legally and ethically won this match in and and in the same way that andre uh was robbed in the first go around and i i do sort of wonder because i i do stand by my take that uh, that jesse is a truth teller Mm -hmm. but i do also sort of kind of wonder on the side he has an angle here and he, you know, there's always an angle with these guys, mm, you know, like mm. when we're listening to Roddy Piper, you know, uh, uh, call a match there. You're always in the back of your head. You're wondering like, well, what's his beef with this? So-and-so like, what's his, what is there a rivalry here? Is there, is there, is there a beef that I don't know about? So I'm kind of curious what his relationship with Andre and Hogan was like and how that informed his, uh, calling of the match. Yeah. That's a really, uh, go, go ahead, Craig. No, I was just going to comment that with, with Ventura, I just kind of view him as, and this, you know, in, in kayfabe and in real life, he's always just kind of the resident contrarian wherever he roams. And right. so his his role is to frustrate and vex, basically, as far as I see it. He will upend order. He is like this sort of like person that is there to cause chaos, you know. Yeah, throw the yeah. wrench in there, devil's advocate, and just to take the counterpoint to whatever the popular view may be. Uh, right. And that, that just that just just to frustrate the crowd and just to upset the apple car. That's it's, it's kind of his role. Do you know if that was also his platform when he ran? For Absolutely. Office? Yeah, he's a libertarian. So, like, yeah, I mean, yeah, that's literally his deal. His position was just like I'm a maverick. I'm I'm gonna upend the system, yep. and I'm gonna sort of uh, you know do things out of the norm. Mm-hmm. New from the Reform Party, yeah! it's the new Jesse Ventura action figure. You can make Jesse battle special interest groups. I don't want your stupid money. And party politics. We politicians have powers the average man can't comprehend. You can also make Jesse lower taxes, improve public education, and fight for the things Minnesotans really care about. This bill wastes taxpayer money. Don't waste your vote on politics as usual. Vote Reform Party candidate Jesse Ventura for governor. Yeah, also, are you guys aware of uh, the uh, television show that Jesse Ventura hosted from uh, 2009 to 2012? 
What was it called, oh, Ben? wait. It was called... Was it... Conspiracy Theory with Jesse Ventura. Hidden power, secrets, cover-ups, corruption. You think you know the whole story? Think again. I've been governor, a Navy SEAL, a fighter. I've heard things that'll blow your mind. And now I think it's time you get the whole story. Now, Jesse Ventura exposes the secret society of elite power brokers that pulls the strings and calls the shots. Talking about the control of absolutely everything on the planet. It's not a fantasy. They made in plain sight. This is the scene of the crime. Only no one knows what goes on behind closed doors. They say we're not secret, we're private. I need you to move off the property. We're being kept well back from the building. Until now. They control the money. When you control the purse strings, you control the world. They control the food. They're poisoning our people. They even decide who will live and who will die. They want you dead, Governor. Why? And their most lethal plot may be underway right now. The idea is to target the human immune system. They're out to kill me. Jesse Ventura confronts the most powerful and ruthless conspiracy yet. The group that runs the world. The ones who want you dead. The Bilderbergs and the Global Death Plot. I'm Jesse Ventura. And this is conspiracy theory. Yeah. Okay. So this, this was like is a, basically this was a thing. his brand. Yeah. This was like his brand. Yeah. Yeah. This whole concept uh, really happened during my wrestling career. Uh, when when wrestling switched over and we started flying everywhere when we went national, well, naturally you spend hours in airports and hours on planes, and I got into reading. And I, and I got into reading about the assassination of President Kennedy. And for 20 years, I studied that assassination. I feel I'm an expert on it with everything I've read on it. And one day I was talking to my people over whatever, out at William Morris and that, and somehow we got on the subject and I got very energetic and somebody looked and said, you know, this is a TV show waiting to happen. And again, like we've talked a lot, you know, in the Royal Rumble uh, series about like the way... You know, this world, this make-believe fantasy land that these men worked in, even though it was clearly a job that they did, um, and it was a, a you know, a, a make-believe fairy, fairy tale land, the fact is that it, I think that, like, it had a yeah. serious, profound effect on a lot of their psyches, you know, in, var- I, in varying degrees. And I don't want to, you know, like, I think Jesse Ventura, you know, is a... <laughs> intelligent person i mean obviously he has some very odd views uh on some things that i might not necessarily agree with but like i think his whole like brand like was very much influenced by you know these his his upbringing and his his past as a a wrestler in the wwf and like he just never really he never really like broke free of that way of thinking and that way of like of of being uh, of always thinking of like how you can manipulate people to you know advance your agenda or or say something that you know might be controversial or whatever it is and 
yeah, obviously it, it infiltrated Donald Trump's mind. It infiltrated, you know, yeah. so many of these of these, uh, you know, very uh, prominent, successful men. Um, uh, well, it's like we've talked about before. It's it's really hard to know what came first, the chicken or the egg, mm-hmm. and it almost kind of doesn't matter. But it does seem to me that this was a thing that was kind of embedded in him and it was if i had to guess it seems like this is kind of really who this person was and it was his unique sort of superpower his unique sort of superhero characteristic that he brought to the character he played in the wwf Mm -hmm. but like i imagine when he met vince mcmahon and said like i want to get involved in the world of professional wrestling and this is who i am and this is my personality that was the piece of their personality that they said okay, this is what we're going to accentuate. Like, this is yeah. actually what's really interesting about you is you're sort of the guy that's always upending the apple cart. You're sort of the guy that is always kind of questioning, you know, the the status quo. You're sort of the guy that is like a conspiracy theorist and you're sort of suggesting that there's some sort of ulterior motive happening that we need to be aware of. Yeah, yeah, totally. No, I think it, it makes perfect sense. Like, why that personality trait was was able to just you know flourish and blossom and 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 you know just uh work so perfectly in in harmony in concert with with the world that he was uh that he was working in yeah yeah ghost give us a thought just on seeing hogan go down here and the pin and what was going through your head when you saw it and how it made you feel it was it was upsetting and um you know i'm kind of a person that takes things at face value so, you know, upon like at the first glance, like I'm weird. I'm a skeptic, but I'm also kind of literal sometimes. So it was it was I t- it was just like, well, that's the way it is. But I didn't like it. I didn't like it. But I'm kind of Jesse Ventura ish in that I have great deal of respect for the referees and I, you know, this is kind of tying things together here with what you guys have been talking about with the NBA referees. I, for better or worse, and I've learned to be more skeptical about this. Anytime my friends would bring up referees being crooked and things like boxing or basketball, um, as skeptical as I was about lots of things and inquisitive as I was about lots of things in life, I just, for some reason, the authority of uh, officials, I just kind of, oh, that's that's a bunch of conspiracy. Th- you're insane. You're a conspiracy theorist. And so that was my perspective on this is that like, I always kind of had that background of like the, the referee is just an unimpeachable, like virtuous Dudley do right, good man, and that would never do wrong, would never succumb to the uh, you know moral weaknesses that the rest of us would be tempted by. They are they are selected for their virtuosity and their goodness of their hearts. Uh, so I've grown up over the years, and I don't I no longer think that way. But uh, it just it was kind of a roller coaster ride of just reflecting for myself about how I have viewed the roles of officials. And now I'm an adult and I know that when there's a uh, opportunity to, uh, you know, cheat and there's a lower risk of getting caught and uh, there's money to be made, there's a high upside, you know, unfortunately with not everybody, but with a big segment of the population, there's going to be that uh, undeniable desire to do it. And, uh, you know, the 
the dark side is there. And um, it was it was just kind of <laughs> mishmash of thoughts. It was like, wow, yeah. yeah, they can be crooked. Is the bottom line? I'm, you know, I'm really similar, Ghost. I, ha- I have to say, like, I. I don't know that I would describe myself as naive, but um, I think I grew up certainly as a child, like just wanting to believe in the goodness of people. Absolutely. And like not, not like I don't have a natural cynicism. Um, and I like believe in the good in people and I don't believe people are like out to cheat. Uh, I, I, I want, and, and, and that's probably my, um, hope speaking more than my sense of reason. Like I, I want, I don't want to believe that we live in a world where people cheat. Um, and I think what happens as you become an adult is you sort of learn more and more that unfortunately, um, there are people that we have to like be wary of. So my initial impression watching this match Certainly with my, you know, first time through with sort of my childhood brain was just kind of like, well, if, if they said that was a pin, then I guess that was a pin. Like, Chris, like maybe, maybe, so I didn't, maybe I didn't see it clear. Yeah. Maybe I didn't see it clearly, yes, but like doubt- if, if they said it was a pin, like I'll, I'll trust the referee because he's an honest man. He's a good man. He wears a bow tie. And um, I'll just take him at, at his word, you know? Chris, it's so perfectly me. And I, I, I will have no problem describing myself as a child as naive and even beyond a child for a little bit. And it's just like, yeah, you like, you, you, the initial reaction is to doubt yourself. Okay, if the official, the official says it's, it's a call, then it's a call and that's it. And he is the official arbiter of this stuff. And yeah, what you said about like just wanting to see the good side, and thinking that how it, it's a tough thing when you come to that bridge where it's like you realize that not everyone is playing by the same rules as you are. It's very tough, and it forces you to grow. It's a up. slippery slope. Yeah, because yeah, it's a, it's a slippery slope because then you start realizing like, well, who else has been cheating and taking advantage of things that I've been sort of sort of assuming we're on the level, you know, like and when you think about the NBA or forget it, forget just sports. And you think about like the world at large, it's like, well, are there people in the business world too? Right. And, and in the political world that like are also taking advantage of us? Like how afraid do I have to be? I don't want to have to live my whole life in fear. That's exactly but, it. It's, <laughs> it's, it's not so much like I, I grew up in, in with the same mindset and I think it's, it's some naivety and ignorance, but I think a lot of it is, is actual just like almost like laziness. There's such a, a comfort and, and, uh, and just kind of like, um, you know, lack of, of bother or worry if you can convince yourself that, you know, these people are authorities and they are good and they are right and you don't have to worry about it or think about it or live in fear. You, you naturally seek that feeling of just comfort and security uh, in your life. And so you don't want to have to live in, in, this, in this state of agitation, total turmoil, uh, as, as Jesse Ventura might, might uh, describe Hulk Hogan's state. Um, you don't want to live like that. You want to live in peace and, and tranquility and, um, and a sense of, of security and, and just happy warmth that, you know, there are these powers, these higher powers that are, that are protecting you and that are enforcing rules and making sure everything is, 
you know, stable and, you know, you know, the good guys are rewarded and the yeah. bad guys are punished. Um, that's such a more a simply a more appealing world to to want to live in. So you convince yourself that that is the world when you're young. Uh, and some people until they're, they're, you know, well past uh, being young. Um, and so, yeah, it's just extremely terrifying and frightening. And yeah, you don't, that slippery slope, you're like, fuck now, how, if I, if these guys are, are, are crooked, like how far down a rabbit hole do I have to go to like find some, some sense of truth or actual reality? Um, it's a fucking awful feeling. (laughs) It sucks having felt it myself. Like I don't like it. I don't, I want to, I want to go back. (laughs) It's like a rug pull. Uh, yeah, uh, it's really the ultimate rug pull. Uh, I remember. Yeah, I mean, ignorance, ignorance is bliss, right? Yeah. Like it's, it's, it's a very, you know, it's a privilege to be sheltered. Yeah. Right. It's an like, absolute, it's, 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 it's a very privileged thing to not have to deal with the reality that, um, there are bad actors in the world. And if you're lucky enough, because for whatever reason you have parents or you're just lucky to live in an environment where you're not exposed to it, you can delay knowing about these terrible, uh, you know, situations for as long as possible. Yeah. But other people aren't as lucky, right? Other people can find out at an early age, like, Hey, turns out there are bad actors in the world. Yeah. Um, these dark forces are actually the ones controlling things and controlling your life. That's what's so messed up about this event is that this is a program (laughs) for children. children. And to be clear, the referee is both is, is basically functionally supposed to be like an arbiter of truth, right? Like this is a, this is a person whose job is to enforce and obey the law. This is effectively God, you know. This this is effectively God in a, in a wrestling ring with a bow tie, mm-hmm. uh, and he is saying we're going to play this fair and square, and the and and the the person that works the hardest and does the best will be the winner, and there is no cheating allowed, and we we're finding out here today, guys, that we may like the NBA, the WWF may have a credibility problem here with its referees. (laughs) So we have the three count, the pin, the match is over, and referee Dave Ebner presents Andre the Giant with the title belt. He raises his hand. Jesse the Body screams, we have a new world champion. The crowd is apoplectic. Yeah. Uh, Hogan is beside himself. say man i am not i i was gonna ask you guys who you were rooting for because uh, like ghost you said like you were shocked and um uh, i don't know if you said you felt a little bit sad um <laughs> but uh i was gonna ask who you were rooting for uh because i for one um was not really a hogan guy 
I was not I was not a Hogan fan. If if uh, your memory, uh, if you remember from our Royal Rumble podcast, I was never really a Hogan guy. I don't know that I was necessarily an Andre guy, but I wasn't really a Hogan guy. Um, so I wasn't like in any way invested in seeing him win. If anything, the contrarian to me was kind of interested in seeing like you know the other guy win. Um, but I have to say, when Hogan is is sort of losing it, going mad. He is beside himself. The crowd is apoplectic. It did make me feel feel for him a little bit. Um, and Andre looks so smug. Uh, Gorilla is interviewing him. And you mean Mean Gene? Uh, 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 excuse me. Yeah, Mean Gene is 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 interviewing Andre, and he promptly submits his championship belt. And places it around the waist of Ted DiBiase. I was just, uh, I can't hey. believe that. The guy's only human, McMahon. No, just a referee. He's going to present it. He presents it to Andre. Raises his hand. We have a new world champion. Ladies and gentlemen, the winner of this bout. No. This is now shocking to me. Yeah. Uh, Ghost, give me, Ben, Ghost, give me uh, a thought. What was running through your head when you saw this? And most importantly, how did it make you feel? Confused (laughs) once more. Like, just, I, again, like taking things at face value, like I was just more confused about like, wait a minute, is is this some sort of uh, prearranged deal where uh, this was... uh, you know, part of the plan all along. Was this an impromptu gesture of loyalty? Uh, Really like all this kind of, you know, I like the human intrigue and drama of it all, but at the same time, it's just the political maneuvering has always been a a struggle for me (laughs) to kind of divine. It's it's the ghost. I'm in the same camp. I was confused. Uh, Yeah. I I, I was, uh, I was confused. I, I, and again, I'm naive, yeah. right? And so I'm watching this for the first time with my child brain yeah. where I'm like, wait, is he putting that b- the belt around his waist as like a favor, as a thank you? It really took me one or two rewatches to sort of understand, oh, he was being duplicitous. Right. Like he was, he was tricking us. <laughs> like this is a trickster and he's tricked me. Yes. And n- now I've been tricked. Yeah. Yeah, I don't think we can even as as hard as we're working here to like um, you know sort of uh, verbalize. Uh, I don't think we can even really begin to like fathom what this felt like in the moment. 
Um, because, like, as as a little reminder, the date is February fifth, nineteen eighty eight. Uh, Hulk Hogan became WWF champion for the first time on January twenty third, nineteen eighty four. So we're talking about over four years. This is the length of you know an American presidential term, um, and not just the length of of time, but also the era of wrestling that this you know, period uh, stretched over when Hulk Hogan became champion, defeating the Iron Sheik in Madison Square Garden on January 23rd, 1984. um, This was before a WrestleMania had ever taken place. This was before um, the WWF had ever been on, uh, on, on NBC national television. Um, Back in, in January of 84, it was basically a com- completely different era of, of wrestling. It w- the WWF still existed as one of several regional territories that existed you know, across the country, these different promotions. Um, and yeah, it was a big one because it was the promotion based in, in the largest market in, in New York. Um, but it certainly wasn't the, you know, the national like, global monopoly that it had become um, by, by the year 1988. Um, and you know most of the of the major programs that that uh, that we were watching or that that wrestling fans were watching by then, whether it was WWF Superstars or uh, you know Saturday Night's Main Event or Primetime Wrestling. Primetime Wrestling premiered on USA on January 1, 1985. Uh, WWF Superstars and WWF Wrestling Challenge, which were like the syndicated shows, those started in 1986. Um, Saturday Night's Main Event started in '85. You know, the first WrestleMania was 85. So basically for like, I don't know exactly, you know, if it was a majority or close to a majority of, of wrestling fans, but like the influx of, of um, you know, just the, the mainstreaming of wrestling that had occurred had all occurred with Hulk Hogan as champion. For like a large portion of fans watching that night, they had never known a WWF where Hulk Hogan wasn't the champion. So, like, I think the the thing that I was, like, or, you know, trying to, 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 like, grapple with just, like, kind of uh, intellectually was, like, what it must have actually felt like to see Hulk Hogan not wearing the championship belt. Like, that must have been such a complete, like, like just, you know, Vince McMahon says. No, sir, that can't be. No, sir, that can't be, you know, when, when, uh, when. Ventura announces the winner, or when when uh, Howard Finkel, the ring announcer, announces the winner, and it, it's like a legit reaction. It's like, no, this doesn't make sense. This is completely like illogical, unfathomable. This is not the world that we know. And for the belt to change hands uh, from Hogan to Andre alone would have been like, you know, just world shattering. And then for thirty seconds later, for it to change hands again, it's just like incredible, like just. I'll you know, say I th- I think there were a lot of scared children. Yeah, like scared I, I don't and think confused. Yeah, I don't th- I don't think we're even uh, like a little bit overreacting and saying like it was scary to think about this one guy who had the title belt for four years and he was ethical and he and he worked hard and he thanked God, and he said his prayers, and he ate his vitamins, and he went to the gym. <laughs> he invested his three assets he, wisely in a lifetime profit-sharing <laughs> yes. plan with, uh, with all and of his Hulkamaniacs. And he, he lost it, and he lost it in a way that was clearly not on the level 
And it suddenly felt like, yeah, you can be robbed. Like, and the WWF was always doing this to us, right? They were always teaching us these hard lessons about yeah. ethics and about morality and about like the need to be careful. Like, be careful. It, it, it felt like a fable, right? It felt it felt like you know, like uh, Little Red Riding Hood or something. Mm-hmm. Be careful because the wolf might come, and he might and he might take your title belt from you if you're not careful. And I mean, and and Hogan is the ultimate expression of that shock and grief, and he is beside himself here in the ring, just beside yeah. himself. Yeah. So as you said, yeah, Mean Gene's interviewing uh, uh, Andre, you know, doing his Larry Merchant impression here um, with the microphone. And then one hilarious note is how Andre just completely fucks up. And I don't know if you guys caught this, but he says, this is no surprise. I told you I was going to win the World Tag Team Championship. This is no surprise. I told you I was going to win the World Tag Team Championship. Which is not the name of the belt. Yeah, I couldn't. I, I honestly couldn't make out what he was saying. It's a little, yeah, Chris, yeah, is, it's all gibberish. It was a little hard to understand. I actually only know because people have talked about it subsequently. Um, mm. But yeah, twice, he, and then he says, and now I surrender the World Tag Team Championship to Ted DiBiase. Um, yeah, not sure exactly what was going through his head at that point. Um, uh, and then, yeah, Mean Gene, wait a minute, hold on, what are you saying? You surrender the title, and blah, then, blah, um, Yeah, and then this is where it gets really weird. Yeah. Right, so as Andre and his crew are headed back to the locker room. Yeah. The camera pans. Hogan is, has his back out. turned. He's against the ropes, you know, appealing, you know, watching uh, uh, DiBiase and Andre, you know, go back down the aisle toward the locker rooms. Um, so he doesn't see what's going on behind him in the ring. But the then camera the camera... pans, it zooms out, and suddenly we see that there are now two referees in the ring. Hmm. Sure if Andre could just give the championship away, Dave Hebner or is that Dave Hebner because they look exactly alike yeah and Hogan boys is furious yeah he full-on he's got loses it. <laughs> both guys by the collar what's going on here's two captains what's going on the Hulk's just trying to find out who the real Dave Hebner is And Hogan is beside himself. Beside himself. Yeah. Just utter chaos and confusion. How could there be two Dave Hebners? Asked Jesse. Just, just a little statistic, just to set the table here. 
If Hogan's build weight for this match is to be believed, he's 306 pounds. And if uh, Ventura's assessment of Hebner is accurate from earlier in the night, he's 150 pounds. So these two Hebners are still less than the Hulkster. Yeah, it's a great point. Great point, Ghost. Yeah, and it turns out that uh, that, that weight would uh, would actually come come in to, uh, to play a, a role here. Yeah, there's two Hebners having a heated argument in the middle of the ring. Can someone please, exp- can we talk through the logistics of this? <laughs> so, so you know, Ben, your, your background here is in creating videos and directing and producing videos. Ghost, obviously, you know, you work in vi- visual design. I'm a performer. Like, how exactly did they work the camera magic here? So we have a camera following... Andre and Ted heading back to the ring. They're gloating. Ted is showing off that belt. Hogan is pointing at them, screaming at them as they're leaving the ring. And the camera pans around the 2040 mark. You can see in the background, there's already 2043. There's two men you see standing behind Hogan. Yeah, it's an, an iconic shot second? with the uh, the main event banner hanging in the distance over Hogan's shoulders. He's he's up on the the bottom rope of the turnbuckle, you know, gesturing to the outside. Um, but yeah. it's an awesome angle, Screaming kind of from them, below. Heckling. But you're right; yeah. that's the point then, where you can first see the two the two refs. There there are two men. There are two referees in bow ties in the ring. So, do we ever see the moment where the second individual climbs into the ring? No, they never show him actually Amazing. entering the ring. Amazing. He's just, he's Amazing. just there. He just appears Fantastic there. Fantastic camera work. And I imagine he was lurking off in the shadows, kind of kneeling, ready for his cue. But I don't know uh, if you guys came across this in your research. I found a very fascinating um, kind of uh, retelling of what happened earlier in that day in terms of the logistics of, you know, that wasn't the extent of it, that fancy camera work. It the, the whole day was a production to keep this under wraps and get this going. So Earl Hebner, um, you know, the brother of Dave Hebner, uh, his quote is, I can tell you how it happened. We went up to Connecticut and me, my brother and Hogan and DiBiase, as a matter of fact, whatever, we worked that thing and worked that thing for about four days. OK, it was the most kayfabe thing in the world that I can ever remember what kayfabe was, okay? Then I went into the building. Everybody goes, hey, Dave, hey, Dave. Remember, this is Earl Hebner, the twin. I go, hey, how you doing? I kept my head down and kept walking. This is the funny part to imagine. I went into Vince's office. I imagine Vince has a gigantic office, so maybe it's not that awkward. But I went into Vince's office and stayed up there for the whole day. Then Davey came in a little later (laughs) and was like, nobody was looking for Dave because they knew Dave was already there. You know what I mean? It was great. It was so quiet. Oh, I should want to say it was kayfabe so long, nobody knew nothing, ever, until it happened. And that's great. I mean, that's where the business should be as of today, but it ain't like it was when I first started. So, But it, it was a great opportunity for me. It was great for me, and it, it made me who I am today. That's one of the angles that I did. And made me who I am today. Yeah, I'm surprised he assented to that. Like, you can't imagine. Like I can't imagine Vince McMahon being okay with just some random guy from the Crockett promotion down south. You know, it's just some hayseed ref just lingering around in his office all day. I, <laughs> I, I, I wouldn't even want that. Forget Vince. Yeah, yeah. So as you noted, uh, 
Right, Earl. I was the evil twin. Twin brother of, of Dave. If you look at my past record, you can tell I'm evil. But I'm really not. I'm really a nice guy. Was a referee, but in a different promotion. In the uh, Jim Crockett promotion, which would later become you know the WCW, the main competitor. And at, even at that time, a, a you know one of the last sort of remaining uh, viable competitors to Vince's WWF empire. That worked great for me. That uh, put me on the go line of being somebody is you know, working for NWA, which I'm not knocking them, but as to make a life out of this business, make money, okay? And that was great for me. So Earl was a uh, was a referee for Jim Crockett and had, in fact, been working uh, for Jim Crockett just a few days prior for the, um, the Bunkhouse Stampede, I believe, on uh, January 24th, 1988, the same day that the WWF staged the Royal Rumble uh, on USA Network as a uh, you know, competitor. Um, uh, yeah, uh, Earl was was working that match, and then just a few days later, uh, you know, gets the call, and uh, I can't imagine how much money Vince threw at him to convince him to uh, to jump uh, and come and join join them up in Stanford, Connecticut. It's crazy to me that I mean, I guess back then there was just you know not that many people watched both both products. You were either a WWF guy or you were a you know, an NWA Jim Crockett guy, um, I suppose. But the fact that that you know, I, I think even like most of the of the wrestlers, most of the talent weren't aware that uh, that Dave Hebner had a twin brother. Um, and uh, yeah, I've I've heard conflicting reports of whether it was Vince or whether it was Hulk uh, himself who actually came up with the idea of like, ah, oh, if only we had a, a twin referee. Uh, I think Ghost, you probably remember in that uh, same video of uh, Hogan in his shop. He's like, "Yeah, I was in the meeting with Vince, and I was the one that said, huh, if only we had twin referees.' Um, I mean, who knows eyes if he's light up like Christmas bulbs? Like, wait a minute, brother! Yeah. I know twin referees. He's so proud in that video yeah. of masterminding that whole thing yeah. by his account. You know, I was in the office with Vince because I lived right in Stanford next to Vince." Back in the day, we were in the office on Summer Street, the old office, and we were sitting there, me and Vincent Patterson, oh my gosh, oh my gosh, what are we going to do for a finish, what are we going to do for a finish, and we talked about it for a couple hours, and all of a sudden, I was just sitting there thinking, man, I just wish we had twin referees, twin referees, I know twin referees, so I told Vince about the Hebners, that he had a twin, and we called that day down to Atlanta or Alabama, wherever Earl was, and Vince made him, made him an offer he couldn't refuse to get him up here. But that's how this twin ref, referee thing about because we needed to finish to get out of this so that I didn't do a job or Andre didn't have to do a job, and we needed the storyline to keep going. So just out of nowhere, I said, gosh, I wish we had twin referees on. Oh, my God, there are. So that's how this whole thing came about. Who knows if that's... Uh an embellishment or not but uh, um but yeah long story short uh there were twin referees um so and another thing that's funny to me is that while they are you know very close to identical looking in their faces one clearly has a little a little bit of a gut a little bit of a punch uh there uh while the other one is is a much more slender svelte uh a hebner um but uh so it is uh dave i believe is the, is the one with the uh, little bit, little bit more of a gut, and uh, so he enters the ring. They start arguing. So, oh, 
I guess the story was that, um, and I, I don't know exactly when this is revealed, but I've read online that the the backstory was that Dave was locked in a closet <laughs> by by uh, Ted DiBiase during the match, um, which enabled him to, uh, you know, obviously pay Earl Hebner a, a handsome, handsome sum uh, to come in and pose as Dave. Um, so basically, yeah, the, the two Hebners are in the ring. They start fighting. Hogan grabs them, um, you know. Uh, I love like in the, in the confusion, uh, the, the move that Hogan, uh, uses to, you know, maybe try to see if he can clear something up is to just grab both men by the throat <laughs> and, and just look at them, uh, back and forth, uh, very, uh, very aggressively. Um, but eventually after, you know, doing the, the back and forth, you know, again, very, very, uh, mime-like, uh, uh, com- you know, physical comedy work, um, Hogan just you know, throws his hands up in the air, says, I, you know, he's just an utter, utter, uh, complete, completely flummoxed, um, just, uh, you know, utter surrender and exhaustion. He walks away, puts his hands in his face, uh, over his face. Um, and now, now the Hedner twins are, are, are getting, um, up in each other's faces. Their argument is escalating, uh, to the point where one shoves the other, the other shoves back. Suddenly it's an all out brawl. Evil Hebner, uh, Earl, the skinnier one, um, goes ahead and, and sucker punches his brother, um, knocks him to the mat, then a kick to the midsection uh, while he's down, and then another kick sends him all the way out of the ring. Um, and then, yeah, Vince and Jesse, of course, are reacting in, in utter shock. At this point, I'll tell you again, Ghost, like, uh, you know, full uh, honesty here, I was still confused about what was going on <laughs> and my childhood brain needed the help of Jesse, the body Ventura. He says the one in the ring had to have taken the money. And then yeah. Vince floats the idea that the million dollar man was involved. There has to be some chicanery going on around here. Has to be something with a million dollar man. I wonder what they did with a real Dave Hedner. I don't get out of the but Hogan is not allowed to manhandle referees like this. That, I don't believe that man's a legal official. Dave Hebner, what are you talking about? He just did the math. How could he not be an official? Up until this point, I would I understood that there was something strange happening. I understood that there were two uh, identical-looking referees. I didn't know anything about twins. Uh, I I was I I was wondering is like is this. Is this, uh, 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 did, did someone, uh, you know, I, I, I was literally in Hulk Hogan's shoes where I'm thinking, how, what was the budget for the plastic surgery? Or, you know, like, like we'll get to that part. I'll take but, like, it I was one like, step is someone, further, Chris. Is someone wearing a mask? Like, I, I, I didn't understand how this could be. I was so confused. And then it was when, when Jesse floated the idea of money and then that, there, that the Million Dollar Man was involved where I was like, oh my goodness, thank God these narrators are here to explain to me because I did not understand. Go ahead, Ghost. Chris, I mean, great point. I'll take it one step further. Like, 
I if if that if I had watched this back then and maybe even now, this says a lot about me. I acknowledge that I'm you know kind of showing the cards here about how I view the world. But like I probably would have just thought like, oh yeah, those guys kind of look alike, right? <laughs> like, but still, like given that, I what the f is going on? I don't like. Just the political intrigue and the machinations and the Machiavellian stuff is just yeah, like the natural suspicion, like that, like we should be naturally (laughs) suspicious. I was not there. Uh I was like, no, I don't know. It looks like he got pinned. I mean, maybe it was a little weird. Maybe yeah, yeah, maybe it's a close call. Like maybe if this was the NFL, they and they had instant replay, they would overturn the call or something. But you know, the referee said it was a pin, so it must have been a pin. And, yeah, and that's it. And and it's the end of the match. And I understand everyone's <laughs> upset because there's a new champ, but that's just how it is in life. And you know, we we have to eat our vegetables, and <laughs> and, and, and that's just it. Yep. Um, and then, yeah, I mean, to have this unfold and then explain to us that there was impropriety and that there was fraudulence. Chicanery was, is the is the word Vince chicanery, uses. Chicanery, yeah. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I was like, really? Again, wow. just to... I, mean, I was... It was introducing a whole realm of possibilities t- to my childhood brain. I like how yeah. they, like universally everyone's talking about plastic surgery as if like the cheaper and more accessible option uh would have not just been hollywood makeup like that should be the first thing that comes to mind not like changing a man's looks for the uh (laughs) he went to beverly hills saw a surgeon but nip and tuck yikes yeah i mean listen the mind you know when when faced with such a completely chaotic and and an utterly confusing situation, you know, you just just leap to weird conclusions. Um, And again, I just keep thinking about like how fucking mind breaking this must've been to watch in the moment, to layer chaos on top of chaos, to have Hogan lose the belt in the first place, then have the belt transferred, you know, in 20 seconds, just like, what, what is that? How is that possible? Like, and then, and then the referee, like, it's just like compounding chaos and confusion um, and I just can't imagine like being in the building, watching it on TV as 33 million people did, um, and just trying to process it in real time, uh, must've just been utterly destabilizing uh, mentally and emotionally. Um, and wow. So at this point, yeah. So, so evil Hebner Earl has, um, has cleared the ring of his, of his twin, uh, the good Hebner, Dave, um, uh, but now Hogan sees, you know, and, and he puts two and two get two together. So basically whichever, Wait, Heb- I'm sorry, Ben. So, so evil, evil Hebner is in the ring or has been tossed. Which one is which? So basically we're led to, uh, conclude that the Hebner that beats up the other Hebner is the evil one. Because obviously if you're a good Hebner, you wouldn't beat up your twin brother i, I guess don't get i guess that at okay. all i know i don't it, <laughs> you would think that like to follow man right i do right. not know who to believe if you've been locked you know, in a like closet trust, for an entire my, match my trust has out, been eroded yeah i have I, I i have no faith i have yeah. no faith i don't know who to trust no you're and right I'm like, it doesn't follow logically okay good i am hulk hogan here right like i we are all hulk hogan we are all suspicious we are all apoplectic yeah um i need i don't know who to trust I needed to check that against you guys in case that was like me not understanding how like that happens a lot with me. I I don't understand how just like subtle interactions happen sometimes. Some people pick up on it. I'm like, oh, is that a natural thing to assume that 
no, I w- my actual first reaction would be that the true and honest Hebner would rightfully feel the right to just exact, you know, get the bad guy out of there. Right. Yeah. Exact you're revenge. you're yeah. an evil imposter. You've been paid off by the million dollar man. You're the bad one. I need to come in and, and re you know reassert my my authority, my my presence here as the as the legal official and get you out of here. Right. You would think that that would make just as much sense as yeah. So I totally agree with you. It does not like flow logically and and obviously for the good Hebner to or the bad Hebner. Yeah. But anyway, the the bottom line is that Those Hogan productions make you so insecure about your <laughs> view of reality. It's fucked up. <laughs> the bottom line is one of the Hebners clears out the other. Hogan turns around and sees this and just assumes like, "Oh, you're bad. I now need to fight you." Um Again, in his confusion, uh, I guess he just didn't know, you know, Hulk Hogan only knows how to solve problems one way, let's be honest. Um, so he walks over uh, and, and, or no, sorry. And he so, chooses violence. Yeah, yeah. Of, of course, in order to, to resolve any, you know, uh, nuanced and, and, and uh, you know, confusing situation. So he starts gesturing the money thing. Oh, you're the one that took the money. Um and the crowd is going nuts. So he grabs uh, Evil Hebner, you know, by the bow tie as he tries to exit the ring. You know, Ho- Ho- Hogan grabs him. And now he's just soliciting input from the crowd. He's saying, what, you know, what should I do? I don't know. You know, everyone is confused. There's mass chaos. You know, how do we resolve the situation? How do we get to some sort of satisfactory, you know, resolution and uh, he's he's actively soliciting input from the crowd. He's you know. I mean, this is this is a classic trash bag ghost move. This is this is soliciting the input from his audience. Mm-hmm. Which werewolf do he's, we like best? Yeah, he's doing a real time poll you know? of of the crowd. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Well, yep. yep. testing. Yeah, what yep. do yep. we do here, guys? And reminder: yeah. this is a a man, a small svelte man with a bow tie on that weighs roughly half or a little less than half. Of Hulk Hogan, <laughs> um, and the conclusion that uh, Hogan reaches is to pick this man up over his head. Oh, look at this! Whoever that man is, he's high above the air. At this point, um, again, according to interviews for after the fact and, and research I did, the, the plan was for Hogan to, you know, slowly walk. Uh, you know, he he presses Hebner clean over his head, so he's a full, you know eight feet up in the air uh, uh, you know, Hogan's a good six, 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 seven, um, you know, with his, uh, with his arms, you know, f- absolutely, you know, straight, straight at the elbow. Um, this man over his head in the air. Um, uh, <laughs> Vince says, whoever that man is, he's high above the air. <laughs> uh, which I thought was very poetic. Um, good line. Yeah, Hogan presses him. Um, and then he was supposed to walk him over and deposit him out of the ring over the top rope. Uh, instead, Hogan, who's standing in the middle of the ring when he presses Hebner over him, walks backwards toward the other side of the ring so as to extend the runway for him to get a, a running, to basically work up into a full sprint, holding this 150-pound man over his head. Um, and Hogan, um, instead of walking him over, runs full charges full speed whilst holding this man over his head and launches him out of the ring oh look at this whoever that man is he's high above the air the hopes are nose look out 
Now, at this point, DiBiase, Virgil, and Andre had made their way, had like sort of like off camera crept back uh, down the aisle back toward the ring so as to be there, you know, waiting to catch as... See, see what the commotion was all about. Yeah, exactly. And, and of course, um, you know, as per the script, they were there as, you know, most, uh, as we saw, you know, brought to mind uh, when uh, uh, Sensational Sherry, Scary Sherry, was launched out of the ring by the Warrior during the 91 Royal Rumble, right into the waiting arms of Macho Man Randy Savage to catch her and break her fall so as to ensure that she wasn't injured. Um but uh, so so DiBiase, Virgil, and, and Andre are there, waiting to catch Hebner. And in fact, there's if you uh, go back and and uh, scrub through it frame by frame, as I have multiple times, you'll see there's also uh, two ushers, one in a uh, red jacket and one in kind of like a dark suit, um, who are also there as kind of like you know backup, like support to help you know catch this man to to make sure that they they cushion his fall. But no. Hulk Hogan runs so fast and launches this 150-pound man so far that he sails clean over the heads of DiBiase and Virgil um, and lands on the concrete. Um, and the funny thing here is that like Virgil and DiBiase are basically there as, as like the first line of defense to, to catch Hebner, right? Um, but he sails well over their heads. But Andre is there as kind of like the free safety, like the backstop, you know, standing behind DiBiase and Virgil is like kind of the, the last line of defense. Uh, but of course, as we just witnessed, um, this is 1980, 1988 era Andre the Giant, and he's really, uh, you know, we, we, we just saw the, the extent of his, of his athleticism, of his, you know, quickness, his eye-hand coordination, his response time. Um, you know, really, uh, really not, not ideal at that point in his, uh, in his career. So Andre is standing there, uh, just, uh, just close enough to watch helplessly as Hebner, uh, <laughs> soars over the heads of DiBiase and Virgil and then lands on the concrete at Andre's feet. Um, <laughs> and, uh, yeah, it turns out that, uh, Earl Hebner broke his, or tore his rotator cuff, I believe, um, as a result well, let me tell you what. When he started running and I was in his arms, I'm going, this is not the plan. He's supposed to walk up to the ropes and dump me in their arms. And when he overshot me, I missed everybody, including Andre. And I hit the floor. I destroyed my rotor cup in my right arm. Uh, from then, uh, that was my first day there ever, okay? Then I went to uh, self-health, and I had my rotor cup repaired. When I hit the floor, it just exploded my uh wrote a cup and i was out for about eight weeks or ten weeks so hulk mentions that he uh broke his wrist in that in that uh, uh interview or that uh yeah that video uh, in it from his shop hulk says that he broke his wrist which is also possible uh, but hebner claimed that he also tore his rotator cuff um in the fall um so yeah clearly uh a little little too much caffeine uh that day for the hulkster i guess um the, the crowd, you know, just got the, got the better of him. And, uh, yeah, I mean, uh, for all we know, like, you know, Andre was there and, and kind of like at least extended a hand, I think, to maybe slightly break uh, Hebner's fall, which for all we know, saved the man's life. Like he, the, the friction from his middle finger fingertip <laughs> saved yeah. Hebner's life. <laughs> yeah, it's very, very possible. Um, In so, defense, I don't think uh, 
you know, it's like when you have a weighted vest or if you ever had that experience or if you're training with a heavy weight and do a drop set down to a lighter weight. I think like Hogan was not trying to just like wreck this guy. I think he's just used to dealing with two and three hundred pounders. And yeah, just a simple miscalculation. I don't think they did this in. Uh, yeah. You know, the rehearsal. So. No, no, no. Of course. And it wasn't wasn't intentional or malicious on, on Hulkster's part. He would never. uh you know, try to injure, uh, you know, a, a, a colleague like that, but, um, definitely a bit of a, bit of a flub there on the, uh, on the toss from the ring. And, uh, yeah, at that point, you know, Vince immediately throws to commercial <laughs> as Hebner. <laughs> so the whole like aftermath of the throw is hilarious because the ushers collapse on like DiBiase and Virgil fall to the ground. Um, the ushers, one of the ushers has collapsed on top of DiBiase, Andre is just standing there like, oh, fuck. <laughs> um, it's just a complete fucking mess of, of humanity on the floor, on the concrete floor of the aisle. And then um, and that that pretty much uh, wraps things up uh, from 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 the ring, at least. Vince throws commercial. Um, yeah, we come back with Mean Gene, who is joined by Hogan in the locker room. Who's practically in tears? Yeah, um, he, <laughs> he says Hogan. I'm sure. <laughs> Hogan looks like he just like maced himself. He is like his face is like bright, burning red. His t- like yeah. he looks absolutely devastated. He's crying. He's blubbering. Yeah, he's an absolute wreck of a human. All right, uh, Vince McMahon, Bedlam and Pandemonium. Things in uh, somewhat of a chaotic state here. Hulk Hogan, I'm sure there's going to be a thorough investigation by the World Wrestling Federation into what happened here tonight. And I know you could not be any more disappointed. How much money did they spend on the plastic surgery, man? I had all bases covered. I had the Hulkamaniacs watching. Deep Yossi. I had Virgil in his place. Never in my wildest dreams, VG. Would I think that I would get ripped off by a penny pension two Tommy referee? How much money on the plastic surgery? How much money did he spend to pay the referee off when I turned around, me, Gene? They were identical. Identical. Here it is. Look at the shoulder, brother. Look at the shoulder. The referee has paid off, brother. Look at the $100 bill fought out this pile. I know you're disappointed. Hulk Hogan, Vince McMahon, Jesse Ventura. Mean Gene says, I'm sure there will be a thorough investigation. Hogan is livid. How much money did they spend on the plastic surgery, man? I had all my bases covered. I had the Hulkamaniacs watching. He says, never in my wildest dreams did I think I would get ripped off by a penny-pinching, two-timing referee. Mm. And uh, Ghost, the idea that Hogan is floating here is that a plastic surgeon <laughs> was hired to make a clone referee of Dave Hebner. Yeah, it's it's almost too much to contemplate. Uh, so yeah, like first of all, like you said, he said... Basically, he ascribed the uh, Virgil watching duty to his Hulkamaniacs. Okay, that was covered. He got mm-hmm. that covered. And, um, yeah, but the, he's, he's, he, he's inconsolable about this plastic surgery as if that's some kind of, like, definitive thing. That was the whole craziest part about this <laughs> to me is just, the surgery, how much did the surgery cost? Like. <laughs> It's such a yeah. weird first conclusion. It's, it's like the it's, last. I mean, it's an approach. It's certainly a take. I, I don't know it was necessarily the one I would have gone. But I mean, like, think about yeah, it. The, I mean, this plastic surgeon presumably would have been working on you know another human being that that uh, DiBiase had hired, 
but the surgeon would not have had the benefit of seeing the real Dave Hebner because, of course, I mean, I guess that maybe they could have, like, kidnapped the real Dave Hebner and, like, handcuffed him somehow and brought him to, you know, this this hospital or this clinic wherever the, the surgeon worked um, and, you know, show, shown him the face. I mean, I can't imagine that the, you know, like... Like uh, maybe a photograph. Um, it's not like they they could have had like some kind of a computer program back then to to show the surgeon, you know, exactly the contours that he had to you know replicate. Um, but uh, yeah, it seems like it would have been a very difficult job. Yeah, like, and you start thinking about the uh, the circumstances of that surgery. Was he a willing patient? It gets really dark really quick. <laughs> <laughs> Ugh, I don't even want to go down that path. <laughs> Yeah. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. Very dark stuff. Very dark stuff. Um, All right, guys. Let's uh, let's talk about some big picture sort of summary closing thoughts here. Um, big picture takeaways from the events and uh, and just what unfolded here between Hulk Hogan and Andre the Giant. Certainly, a uh, I will be thinking long and hard about refereeing the sinister nature of the world maybe goes that we have to be perhaps we have to be less trusting yeah um that's you know it was it was this time of year when i was 18 i went into new york city on a field trip and uh we were supposed to go check out the uh, it was for art class okay and we were supposed to go check out the different uh little galleries around new york city it was a nice spring day I wander off into a less than desirable part of town, the adventurous side of me taking over, and I come across a a little table, um, and the gentleman is playing a little game with cups on the table, and you got to find oh boy. which one goes where. Oh, it seems easy enough. This you know rather stupid looking woman just uh, is jumping up and down just as I come onto the scene with forty dollars in her hand. Hey, I think if she can do it, I can do it. Uh, and so I hand over my uh, $40, a lot to an 18-year-old in Thanks. the big city for the day. And then I'll spare you the details, but 30 seconds later, I'm there, $40 poor, looking around. No one's there to wow. correct the wrong. And I'm growing up real fast. And that, that is really the that rug pull moment is so formative and that, that affects me to this day. I've learned from it. I've grown from it, right? I don't want to, it's not some kind of like painful trauma at this point, but it's a part of growing up that that rug pull moment when you realize that not everyone has your best intentions in mind and people are duplicitous. Uh, you really, you grow up quick. And that was a big part of that WWE programming is the show. I mean, Vince was not Aesop. He was not Aesop's fables here trying to make us better he was just shocking us incidentally as we review them we can glean some lessons from all this but right uh, yes it was it's it's a painful it's a pace getting into some painful themes here yeah just uh things are not as they seem and not everyone has your best interest in mind or even truth or what is right in mind yeah yeah just an absolute master of of manipulating you know human emotions uh and and preying on on people's yeah naivety and and uh insecurity, in, innocence yes yeah, insecurity totally um speaking of 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 playing on those emotions though I want to read a quick little uh, tidbit I found um uh from Wikipedia here I'm reading the WWF continued to build heat for Earl Hebner 
through a kayfabe investigative report published in the promotion's flagship publication, WWF Magazine. Um, I don't know. I'm sure you guys remember WWF Magazine. I know Ghost, uh, you and I uh, definitely spent some some hours uh, perusing those uh, those glossy pages as as children. Um, but b- back in 1988, WW- WWF Magazine uh, published an article called WWF Magazine Investigative Report, Dave Hebner's Shadow. The article claimed through a fictional backstory that Dave had, quote, been plagued by the misdeeds of his brother Earl, quote, throughout their childhoods, uh, citing such examples as Earl's cheating in school and, while posing as Dave, doing such things as bullying fellow students and abandoning Dave's pretty girlfriend on a sidewalk in a slum district at night. The report continued by noting that, despite Dave's appeal of the controversial ending to the Hogan-Andre match at the main event, Tunney, that is uh, WWF President Jack Tunney, had to uphold the decision since Earl was a licensed referee in Indiana. The match took place in Indianapolis. And that, as a result of Earl's cooperation, he became a, quote, very rich man, thanks to a payoff by DiBiase. Um... But then, also interestingly, it goes on to note that the evil twin referee storyline was dropped when Dave was apparently injured in the aftermath of the match. In a 2001 interview, so we talked about how Earl Hebner sustained injuries from his, uh, you know, toss from the ring from Hogan. But in a 2001 interview with the uh, WWF Raw magazine, Dave Hebner claimed to have suffered broken ribs as a result of Earl kicking him. Uh, it, when they, uh, you know, squared off in the, um, yeah. in, uh, you know, the at, at the end. Yeah. So, uh, I mean, both Hebners really, really took the brunt of the, uh, of, of the damage, um, in this, uh, in this match. And, uh, yeah, I mean, you have to just, uh, admire them for their, their commitment to the, uh, to the storyline, but, um. Yeah, I mean, of course, this would, um, you know, the, the the whole angle was, was really to set up WrestleMania 4, which would be taking place a couple months later, March of 88, uh, of course, at Trump Plaza in Atlantic City, um, the first of uh, two WrestleManias that would be held at, uh, at, at Donald Trump's venue. Um, and so the, uh, the belt, the championship belt that was, you know, handed to DiBiase in the ring, uh, President Jack Tunney, uh, about a week later, uh, announced that he uh, had reached the, the decision to vacate the title. February 5th, 1988 will go down in World Wrestling Federation history as a day of infamy. Never before has there been such controversy to surround a World Wrestling Federation championship match. Despite having viewed time and again videotapes of the Hogan-Andre match, The decision of the referee is, as always, unfortunately final. Therefore, Hulk Hogan is not the World Wrestling Federation champion. However, it clearly states in the rule book that in order for a wrestler to be deemed a champion, he must either pin the reigning title holder or make him submit. That is the only way a wrestler can become champion. Therefore, unequivocally, I can state that Ted DiBiase is also not the World Wrestling Federation champion. Furthermore, it also clearly states in the rule book that a reigning champion may at any time in his tenure end his reign by publicly surrendering the title, which is exactly what happened when Andre the Giant presented the championship belt to Ted DiBiase. 
Therefore, Andre is also not the champion either. It is my decision that to be fair to the last two reigning champions of record, Hogan and Andre, and to furthermore be fair with the number one contenders who would have faced either Andre or Hogan as champion, I now declare the title vacant. And this vacancy to be filled on March 27th of this year during WrestleMania 4. Yeah, also interestingly, for a couple of days there uh, after the, the match, uh, Ted DiBiase did actually work a couple of house shows where he was announced as WWF champion. Long reign, Ted DiBiase, the million dollar man, the World Wrestling Federation heavyweight champion. <laughs> Pretty incredible. Would you like to know one final footnote on, on Earl Hebner, Chris? I think you, you uh, yeah. in particular may be interested in this. I, I, I wonder if, uh, if you know of, uh, of one other match that, uh, that Earl Hebner refereed uh, a few years later. It would be the main event of SummerSlam 1997, a title match between WWF champion Bret the Hitman Hart and challenger Shawn Michaels. A.K.A. Oh, the Montreal the Montreal Screwjob. Screw yeah, Earl Hebner also the referee for that match. Keep it on your radar, folks. How about that? The Montreal Screwjob. We might we may just have to talk about it. All right, guys, this has been a lot of fun as always. Ghost, we can find and purchase your work at trashbagghost.com. We can find you on Instagram, Twitter at trashbagghost. Uh, what's new? What's going on? Tell us about the live draw. What's what's going on in your world that you want to promote and plug? Yep, I'm trash bag ghost everywhere. Um, I've started to do impromptu streams uh, again. So you guys go to Twitch. You can actually, yeah. I made it real easy. You just go to trashbagghost.live and turn on live. notifications, and you'll be sure to get notified every time I do go live. The Swish FM interns actually went to one of the recent live, uh, one of the recent live draws, and it sounded like a blast. Um, so yeah, if you're interested in checking out the, uh, the, the trash bag ghost, he is streaming his, his work, uh, drawing live on Instagram and Twitch. It, it's, it's a, it's, it's a must do. You, you gotta, you gotta check it out. It's yeah. an experience. It's a happening as Gorilla Monsoon would say. It really is, uh, you know, we, we try to tune in as much as we can, but it's, it's such a, uh, a delight to see not just the artists at work, but, um, you know, you, you, you get Ghost's mic skills at the same time. He's talking, he's interacting. I don't know how he does it, frankly. It's, like, mind-blowing, but he's... And you get, the whole, you get the whole community. Everyone is there. The chat is off the hook. Yeah, I mean, the chat's always popping. Just, and, yeah, yeah somehow yeah. he's able to keep one eye on the, uh, on the canvas and one eye on the chat and, you know, converse and communicate while drawing. It, yeah, it doesn't, doesn't make any sense to me how it, how it happens. I've done the math, guys, and when I'm... You know, drawing while conversing, the drawing takes uh, 13.5% longer, but I say that's a worthwhile cost for interacting with a great group of people. So it's it's a lot of fun. It's, it's worth that 13.5%. <laughs> all right, trashbagghost.live. You'll get all the notifications for when the streams are happening. Right. Otherwise, we can find you on all social platforms at trashbagghost. Yeah, anything else you need to plug? Uh, that's about it. Working a lot on NFTs behind the scenes. I uh, I don't sell them. I mint them exclusively for my patrons. 
So if you guys are interested in getting some right. Trash Bag Ghost NFTs, Patreon exclusive right there. All right. Hell yeah. And Ghost, right. of course, also and, uh, helped us design the wonderful merch that you can now find at SwishFM.com. Yeah, swishfm.com slash merch. Uh, cop a, uh, a t-shirt, a sweatshirt. We're going to have a whole bunch of other stuff up there in the store real soon. All of that stuff is courtesy of the brilliant design of Trash Bag Ghost. So, uh, yeah, that's it. Thanks for listening. This is a lot of fun, as always. And uh, I'll talk to you guys next week. Later, boys. All right, guys. See ya. You can listen to... Swish, 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 swish